I'm Ted, the minister. It's good to see you. A few first-timers, a few returners. Uh, some of us have been here a long time. So we're going to start by being prayed up. And then uh, we've got a fun topic. And then uh, I think instead of communion at the end of this, we're going to make uh, Jason come up and do an interview, which I'm pretty, pretty excited about. How many have been in the news recently? Just Jason? Okay, good. Then we'll bring, bring him up. That'll be great. Let's get prayed up. Heavenly Father, on occasion, we are amazed by you, and we have one of those today. Thank you for being our God, and we, I don't know, do we say we apologize for the fact that we don't pay much attention to you? It's just a reality. I think deep down, the way we are created, we understand that if we truly would embrace you, let you be you in our lives, we'd be better for it. But we keep wrestling back because we have some thoughts, we have some ideas, we have some goals. Lord, the wrestling match with you is famous, but Lord, give us the courage to trust that choosing you is the best plan for our life, not only for long term, but this moment right now. It's the name of Jesus that we pray. Everybody said, amen. There's a famous New Testament verse, well, two verses, from the book of Hebrews, we don't actually know who wrote Hebrews, but they did a good job, so here we go. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works, and let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do. 2,000 years ago, the writer of Hebrews is complaining about regular church attendance, so that gives me excitement. But encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. 2,000 years ago, they're like, Jesus is coming back any day now. And the reason every generation has always done this, including now, is we fervently believe in our heart life has never been more difficult than it is right now. This is the pit of humanity. This is the bottom of culture. Look at all the crazy stuff going on. And we can forget I think uh, scientifically, right before the pandemic, there was an article that came out that I think it was 536 A.D. or 936 A.D. From my perspective, those are very similar, that 400 years mattered at the time, was the worst year on record because there had been a big volcano. It blocked out the sun, which sounds pretty delightful. And then, then the crops couldn't grow, and people were hungry, and it spiraled, and and I think if you look it up, like 2018, they came out with an article that said the worst year in history was one of those years. Because we think this is as bad as it gets. Jews in Germany, well, they didn't have it as bad as us. We were mean to each other. Okay. What about any time in the Middle Ages? I used to live in London, and on occasion I'd go with somebody to their house, and everybody has within walking distance of their house some weird... 2,000, 3,000-year-old wall, well, I guess it'd be 2,000-year-old wall, when the Romans were in charge, and there'd be this, this little lovely river going through town, and then, I don't know, 50, 100 feet of grass, and then this two-foot wall. And in the day, on the grass, there'd be all these little huts. You've seen Braveheart, this little nothing, two, it, then this wall is the big castle, and at any time, they could send somebody out to kill you, steal your wife, take your kids. Now, parents, I know on occasion you're like, well, but no, no, that's not what we're, that's a terrible way to live. We have it much better. 
Even you Californians, we have it so much better now. But even then, they thought that was the end. And the truth is, Jesus is coming back some point, either in our lifetime or our lifetime ends and we get to go meet Jesus. So either way, we have limited time. While we're here, we're supposed to meet together. We need each other. Back, don't, don't stop going to church. Don't stop breaking bread together is a great old Bible phrase. We're doing Sandwich Sunday today for a reason. The idea that we need each other I think it was 2019, 18, 17, they came out with a government website because the, the epidemic was loneliness. And it equated being alone, be, feeling lonely, to the same health detriment of smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Now, to be fair, being lonely is a lot cheaper, but it's not healthy to feel lonely. We are disconnected from each other. So that's why James just went through the list, the men's groups, the women's groups, the Bible studies, the game nights. Huh? Huh? See what I did there? <laughs> sandwich Sunday. Um, we do uh, Burger Sunday and Sandwich Sunday every month because there's no better way. My, my parents were old. They came from that cocktail generation. They knew how to throw a party. They knew how to throw a party. Some of you guys know how to throw a party and you are a delight. A lot of us have forgotten how to throw a party. My dad and mom didn't have cocktail parties. My dad had lost his privileges, and mom said, me or the booze. And, uh, and my dad had to make a real choice between scotch and his wife. And, uh, and he chose wisely, or I wouldn't be here, but, uh, but he, had some, he had some thoughts. But that whole generation knew how to throw a cocktail party, whether booze was involved or not. Two or three times a week, my brother and I would put ourselves to bed and with this old New York house, and uh, we could listen through the vent of their conversation, drift off to sleep to their conversation. To this day, I grew up in a house with two parents, six kids, and a dog. To this day, I have to put a little headphone in and listen to somebody talk in order for me to go to sleep. A book on tape. I'm right out. If it's too quiet... I've been abandoned. I don't know. I don't know. I, if it's too quiet, I can't sleep because I grew up with that cocktail generation, always throwing a party. My dad would get home from work, and he would call up the Italians and say, you put on the coffee, we'll bring whatever sugar we have in the house, and we would go over on a school night, stay out way too late, very irresponsible. The New Testament word for that is oikos, our household. Remember this. Actually, I wrote this on Tuesday, and I thought, well, I don't think Jackson will be there. Not redshirt Jackson, but other, other Jackson. I don't think Jackson will be there, because as you'll hear in a little while, don't let me forget, Jackson made the news. So I wrote this, and I thought, well, I don't think Jackson will be there, because at the time he was broken. But the oikos, first it's your, your mom, right? Then your mom and dad, and then maybe you, for your siblings, and then it's neighborhood friends and friends who are like family then becomes coworkers and playground kids and then parents at playgrounds. In the old days, kids used to go to playgrounds by themselves. I don't know if you know this, but we don't allow that anymore. If you send your kid to a playground, now you'll get arrested. So you send your kid to the playground by themselves and they come home and mom and dad are gone. And uh, so that's not how we do that anymore. But in the olden days, you'd go in your, your playground friends and now it's just the kids are playing and the parents are talking. And it's this line I wrote on Tuesday. Those who know you well enough that if... You made the news that people would know whether or not that news report was true. Those are, that's your oikos. Those are your people. In the olden days, they used to do radio a long, long time ago. 
And the family joke was I needed to move away. I had to get promoted out of Syracuse. It's a pretty good media market, but I had to get promoted out of there because I was limited to the stories I could tell. Because, well, people knew me. My older brother's wife's mom one time said, I don't think that's how that happened. Okay, don't listen. Just go for the joke. I'm not, not, looking, I'm not, I'm not submitting a government report here, okay? Just go for the joke be called out by a 97-year-old, that's an odd way to live. The oikos are the people who know you well. So hopefully, some of those live in your house. And hopefully, you have some out of your house, people that you are great. So my dad was my original oikos, and my dad was a letter writer. So when I was a kid, when I lived in the house, and I wanted to know what dad was thinking, I would just ask him, and he's a New Yorker, so he would tell me, and we could talk about it. It's a great way to learn. Ask somebody what they're thinking and talk about it. And then when I grew up and I moved away, whether I was in a different state or for a little while in a different country, my dad would write me the letter. And my favorite part of the letter, from my dad, right above love, dad, in his old man's scrawl, was always something sweet. The rest of the letter was just information that he would have told anybody who would listen. Anybody. Your mom beat me in cards again last night. I know, dad. She always does. Probably when she says, oh, I don't have a five, you should not hand her the five. But my dad wasn't that competitive. My wife came over for the first time. My wife's competitive. And she's playing the family card game, and she's just destroying everybody. Because we're just there, sit down. I grew up in a family. When it was mealtime, you sit down, you tell a funny story, you eat fast, and you hit the road because we need the chair. My wife grew up in a small family where the whole point was to win. And they do. So she's over playing cards with these old people, just destroying them. And then she's calling them out for not trying hard enough. And still, they prefer her to me. Well, anyway, the rest of the letter was just informational stuff. We talk about our adventures. Most of my dad's adventures were over. He was in World War II. He had been shot at and had bombs dropped on him. So I was living in London, my friend Neil's Grandpa Frank. I loved Grandpa Frank. He was not returned. I loved Grandpa Frank, and we'd go over to Grandpa Frank's house, and he would call me the Yank, which I think is kind of cool. That's kind of fun. I like the Yankees. And then Neil would say, he doesn't mean that as a compliment. My mother-in-law would say, introduce me to her friends early on as, he's not the typical minister. And I would say, thank you. And my wife would say, she doesn't mean that as a compliment either. It's hard to insult a New Yorker, really. You have to point it out. So... I'd go to Grandpa Frank's house, and I would love to hear his World War II stories because my dad was in World War II, and I loved his stories. And then Grandpa Frank, like most England people, thought that my dad and and the fellow Americans showed up two years late for World War II. And so Grandpa Frank and I talked about that one time, and then I wasn't invited back to Grandpa Frank's house anymore. I thought he and my dad would be, my dad loved to write letters, and Grandpa Frank was in the war. I thought they'd have a good correspondence, but my dad wrote one letter, and Grandpa Frank did not return it because there was a phrase. Um, you know, it's a fairly inappropriate phrase now that I go through it in my head, but, but they were mad that they were late, and then they were mad that they stayed. So uh, all around, that's kind of my experience in England. But my dad would write me the letters, most of it informational. We saw Uncle John and Aunt Shirley last night. I saw your old baseball coach at the old man's uh, coffee. 
Then, right before the love day, there'd always be something sweet and personal just to me. The rest was for everybody, but the end was just for me. And it was, that was always my, my favorite, my favorite part. There was, your old dog sleeps with all, spends all day with her nose under the door waiting for you to come home. She misses you and so do we. Love, Dad. One time he wrote, I had a car, wasn't that nice? It was a nice car, it wasn't that old. Dad's job was to drive it every few weeks to make sure that baby was still in good shape when I finally got back. And he wrote at the end of the letter, drove your car last week, the front right wheel fell off, so it's at the shop. Love, Dad. Hey, I, I could use more information. How fast were you going, old man? What is the story? I never did get the story, but he paid for the repair, so what did I care? He would say, Mom and I saw a Yankees game last night, and we laughed about how, as a kid, you used to cry every time the Yankees lose. Thanks, Dad. <laughs> Although the joke's on him. Back me up, Jackson. I still cry when the Yankees lose. So, ha! It's not just when I was a kid. Uh, I'd been there a while, and, and they would call it 4 o'clock in the morning. I lived in this mansion, the second highest uh, big house in London, next to, I don't know, someplace the Queen was living at the time. Yeah, they would call at 4 o'clock in the morning. It was the row of bedrooms, and the phone would... It wasn't by my room, so I never heard it. And then at 4 o'clock in the morning, at 4.01 in the morning, somebody would come banging on my door until I woke up and would say, it's your mom and dad calling. And so then I'd go out and stand and talk to two new, uh, old New Yorkers who loved me in the hallway, kind of drafty, boxers and a T-shirt, bare feet, freezing. And I would say, Dad... It's 4 o'clock in the morning. And he would say, well, all happy. He would say, yeah, it's the only time we can call and we always get you. <laughs> right. Your mom beat me in cards last night. Well, I know, I know. One time he wrote and said, I can tell you've been there a while because after we talked last time, your mom has been talking with a British accent all week. But to be fair, I did pick up a bit of a tinge of British accent that my wife quickly mocked out of me after I got back. But my, my mom's mom... She had a great British accent. She used to be a nanny in New York City, and she would break out this really posh British accent. Her grandparents were from the old country, so she grew up around it, and they would, she would break out this really posh British accent. She would say, I make a lot more money as a nanny. If I talk like an American, I'm a nanny. If I talk like a British person, I'm a governess. Another 100 bucks a week. It was a big deal back then. It was the best part of the letter, right above love dad. A good ending is always the best part of the letter. So in the New Testament, we've been talking about Paul. And Paul and Luke, on their journey, Paul felt called to, to not only spread Jesus in the sideways part of the U, the old country, but at some point he felt called to go right in the middle of the Roman Empire 2,000 years ago and talk about Jesus. And Dr. Luke was his traveling companion. Dr. Luke did not feel called to go to Rome. Dr. Luke said, you are called to go to Rome. You are called to face all kinds of hardships. I'm just called to take notes. So I say, let's not go to Rome. But Paul wanted to go, and Luke was his friend, so you've been through this. Off they go. We talked about it last week. Shipwreck, snake bite, hate to bring that up. All kinds of things. Finally, they, they get to Rome. Well, the year before that, the year before Paul got to Rome, he was in Corinth, which is sort of near Athens in modern-day Greece. And he wrote a letter on the head to the Romans. 
You guys have started, you've met Jesus, you've had a personal experience with Jesus, you've had a personal experience with the Holy Spirit. Let me talk to you about how life works. And he writes 15 chapters in our modern Bible. It's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the book of Acts. Luke and, wait, careful. Luke, Luke and Acts, the same, the same writer. And then Romans starts the letters. Hebrews is in there, but Romans is the next one after Acts. I was diagnosed with a concussion this week. I probably should mention that in case you're wondering about my facts. I'm pretty strong on the Jesus stuff. Some of the other stuff's a little bit, a little bit flaky for me. But the book of Romans, might be Corinthians first now that I say it out loud, but the fact that nobody's talking back at me probably is a bad sign for our Bible scholarship. So let's just go with Romans. It's all in there. That's the main thing. So Paul writes ahead of 15 chapters of how to live life, and it's information that anybody can read. We can still read it today. It's still valuable. I don't usually preach out of the letters of Paul in the New Testament because it's really good stuff. You just read it, and you go, yep, there you go. There it is. I like the stories. We can talk about the stories. If I'm just going to tell you what Paul said, we'll just read it, and there it is. So it's a less exciting sermon, but the last one of Paul, the last chapter in the book of Romans. It's his oikos goodbye. He hadn't been to Rome yet. He's writing ahead, and he sends the letter with Phoebe. And the last bit of Romans 16, Paul wanted to encourage them. It's all good stuff, but now we get to my favorite part of the letter, the conclusion. And Dr. Fred Craddock was a preaching professor. He taught the rest of us how to preach. You can evaluate how good of a teacher he was, but, thanks, honey, but Fred Craddock was one that pointed out, do you see the ending of Romans isn't just a list of names. There's a lot of that in the Bible. This is Paul's oikos. This is his conclusion. So 40 years ago, he pointed out to the rest of us this ending with some Fred Craddock comments. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who's probably delivering the letter, who is a deacon in the church of Centria. Oh, that's who you are. Probably should have started there since she had the letter. Verse 2, welcome her in the Lord as one who is worthy of honor among God's people. It's pretty good. Help her in whatever she needs. She's new to Rome. For she has been helpful to many and especially to me. That's good. Verse 3, give my greetings to Priscilla and Aquila, a married couple, tent makers by trade, just like Paul, my co-workers in the ministry of Christ Jesus. In fact, they once risked their lives for me. I am thankful for them. Well, I would think so. You think back in your life, has anybody risked their lives for you? I mean, I liked my dad, but I don't know that he risked his life for me. My friend Warren, some of you met him. I knew him from my 20s up until last year when he, when he quit. Didn't he make 102? He had another month to go. He paid for me to live in London because I was on a travel visa or student visa or whatever it was. I couldn't get a job. I didn't have that kind of money. So Warren paid for me to live in London. But, man, Warren was loaded. So I can tell you, it wasn't a hardship. It wasn't a hardship for him. He didn't risk his life over it. But there was this lady one time years ago through some bad planning on my part, I was in Newark, New Jersey at about 5 a.m. in the morning. And I had to get back to New York to get to work. And I was at a bus stop. And I, I didn't grow up in a family of bus people. 
we're trained people. And I didn't have exact change for the bus, and the bus came up. And I had, I don't know, I had a five, and I needed to have 70 cents or whatever it is I needed to have. And the bus driver had had it with people like me, and he didn't want to make change. And he was going to kick, he wasn't going to let me on the bus. And this lady, who was probably my age now, walked up in a, in a hotel maid uniform. She'd always been working all night. And she walked up, and she had exact change for both of us. And I said, oh, no, no, I'll wait for the next bus. And she looked behind me, and there was kind of a rough crowd. They hadn't gone, they hadn't gone home to go to bed yet. They were willing to take out one more before they did. She said, young man, you need to be on this bus. And so she paid my fare. I offered her the five. She wouldn't take it. And we went and sat down. She didn't risk her life, but she may have saved mine in hindsight. As I was telling people the story, they said, Ted, we didn't realize you were that dumb. <laughs> well, now you do. I wasn't paying attention to my surroundings. Where I grew up, what you learned was pay attention to your surroundings. We live in Oro Valley now. Crime is illegal. We don't pay any attention to anything but snakes, right? You just watch where you're walking, and then everything is fine. So I don't know that lady. Didn't get her name. She wasn't interested in the conversation. She wanted to talk to somebody that stupid. She's got plenty of dumb people in her life. Believe me, I tried. But I think of her often. Did anybody ever risk their life for you? Priscilla and Aquila did for Paul. I am thankful to them. Well, I would think so. And so are all the Gentile churches. Verse 5, also give my greetings to the church that meets in their home. Risk their lives. Hmm. Paul continues with his list. Greet Ampliatus, my dear friend in the Lord. Church friends are great. I love my church friends. I didn't have a Christian friend until I was 28 years old. That's where I grew up. I didn't have a church friend until I was 28. His name was Neil, Grandpa Frank. And the second one I married, it's the hot chick sitting right there in green. I would have married Neil, but yeah, yes. If you met him, you would understand. I never even had a Christian friend before. None of my friends went to church. I'd go to church. I'd go to Wednesday night Bible study, meet my friends after. They would give me 30 seconds to tell me what I'd learned, and then we'd go on. Verse 9, greet Urbanus, our co-worker in Christ, and my dear friend Stachys. Verse 12, give my greetings to Tryphena and Tryphosa, the Lord's workers. Here's Fred Craddock. Tryphena and Tryphosa, obviously twins. You hear it, don't you? In the names. Now, Fred Craddock had this really slow southern drawl. And if, I, if we had anybody here who talked like that, first of all, I'd spend most of the sermon mocking you. But at this moment, I'd bring you up and have you read this. Can anybody fake a southern accent really well? There's the slow drawl. You know the kind of slow drawl where they don't move, they don't move their lips? That's, what, that's how Fred talked. So you have to picture that as I'm reading this. Tryphena and Tryphosa. They always sat on this side, and they both wore blue every Sunday. I never knew them apart, really. One of them had a mole on her cheek, but I didn't know if it was Tryphena or Tryphosa. I never did get them straight. That's Fred Craddock's pointing out to us that when Paul writes, greet Tryphena and Tryphosa, he knows that, well, he can't tell them apart, but he knows. He knows these people. This is his oikos list. These are the people. Fred Craddock tells a story that the first church he and his wife had as they were leaving, the dear folks in the church did a quilt, and they put all the church names embroidered into this quilt. 
and Fred and his wife were young, so they packed it up and took it with them. And every time after that they would move, they were going through the stuff, should we take this, should we take this? They always got the quilt out, and they went through the list of names on the quilt. Remember this couple? They were really sweet. They really helped us out as a young married couple. Remember this guy? He voted against my raise, right? They would go through the list of that, of that first church. That's what this list is. Back to Paul. Greet Rufus. There's a good name. Whom the Lord picked out to be his very own. Man, how is that for a, a special way to be designated? And also his dear mother, who has been a mother to me. Now, Fred Craddock, right, in his southern voice, said this. Some, whim, some woman, some woman, earned from this apostle Paul the title mother. Can't you see her, this woman, able to be mother to Paul? He probably stayed in their home. She was a rather large woman, always wore an apron, a lot of things stuffed in the pocket of the apron, hair pulled back in a bun, fixed a good breakfast. Paul said, I'm sorry, I can't stay. I have to be on my way. And she said, sit down and eat your breakfast. I don't care if you are an apostle. You're riding a donkey across Asia tomorrow. You've got to eat. So that's what Paul, when he says, tell my mother hello. Do you remember the... I mean, where I grew up, you didn't want too many of those. But remember the moms of your friends who would be a mother to you? A lot of my friends were Jewish and Italian, so it's a whole different world. But my friend Sandy's mom was always sweet. Sandy and his younger brother, Sandy was one of my dear friends his, when we were kids. We uh, met in kindergarten. We got to be in the same classroom through second grade I went to a school that had a lot of class options, so the fact that we got three years in a row together was pretty good. You know what? I can't tell the rest of that story. But for years after, because Sandy wasn't with us anymore, I would go and, and go sit with his mom on occasion. And we would tell the stories, and she always gave me the same thing. We didn't have soda in our house. You southern people, Pop. But I found out after, in high school, we moved to Kansas. I got introduced to Dr. Pepper. So when I went back to New York, I was all excited. It's kind of hard to find back there. But Sandy's mom would always have Dr. Pepper in the fridge when I would come by. And we would tell the old stories, and she would give me a Dr. Pepper. Oh, man, she was like a mother to me. That's what Paul had, too. Then he finishes with this. Greet each other with a sacred kiss. I'm going to say careful. <laughs> Could get weird over sandwiches. A sacred kiss. We moved to uh, my wife, my very southern wife and I. She grew up in places like Miami, Florida. and When they were in Germany, they were in southern Germany, North Carolina, Texas. So we moved to north of Chicago. A lot of Italians. And, uh, and so I introduced her <laughs> to my friend Bill. His friend... His brother, Mike, was very normal, but Bill was outgoing. Bill was nuts, let's just say it. And Bill was kissy. And the first time, you know, you got to warn your wife about some of your friends. I forgot to warn her about this. And Bill just started kissing her on the cheek. Man, was that entertaining. <laughs> she got used to it. So when he says greet each other with a sacred kiss, we want to really focus on that sacred all the churches of Christ send their greetings. Now, this is Fred. He gave the sermon 40 years ago, back in the day of uh, church bulletins. So then, all of this next bit is in a southern accent. Do you have a piece of paper? 
Do you have, well, use your worship bulletin. Would you write in the margin somewhere or at the bottom these words? I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Because that's what Paul would write. Just above, love Paul. I thank God every time I think of you. The old communion, which is why it's out. We'll see if Jackson comes back. We got Jackson or communion today. Those might be equal, which is a little unusual. But the old communion tables would say on the front, engraved in remembrance of me. Before they did the Last Supper, Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. The thing about church is it's not just our friends, but it's friends in Jesus' name, and that changes everything. So Fred Craddock said, after reading this list for Paul, then write a name. You choose the name. For me, my first one would be my dad. But then Neil would go on there pretty fast. I wouldn't get to Kissy Bill for a while, but I'd get there. You remember the name, Fred said, and then write another name. Keep the list. Keep the list because to you, just like Paul, it's not just a list. In fact, the next time you move, keep the list. Even if you have to leave everything else, take this list with you. In fact, when you leave the earth, take it with you. Then Fred Craddock said, I know, I know. When you get to the gate, St. Peter's going to say, now look, you went into the world with nothing. You're going to come out of it with nothing. What do you have there? And then you'll say, well, it's just some names. And Peter will say, well, let me see it. And you'll give it to him, and he'll smile and say, I know all of them. In fact, on my way here to the gate, I passed a group. They were painting a great big sign to hang over the street, and it said, welcome home. So we'll talk about heaven next week. Until then, let us not neglect breaking bread together. And uh, we'll, we'll excuse Jackson. I don't even want to spoil it. We'll, we'll let Jackson tell you the story next time. So the middle schoolers, on their soon-to-be high schoolers, put this around you. So if you'd like to participate in communion, the do this in remembrance of me. The thing is, friendships are great. Old friends are great. But the real magic happens when we have friends in Jesus' name. Because we don't just get them here, but we get them for eternity. So on his last night, he is a full human. Odd description, but Jesus was here for 33 years, and then he knew he was going to die because sometimes we do things in life that we need to know the love of God, the grace of God is bigger than the worst thing we could do. And that's what Jesus was doing. Jackson, are you ready? Can you come up? All right. Come on up if you would. So that's what Jesus was doing with his friends. Jesus said, this is my body broken for you. You've done nothing worse than that. This is my body. Eat all of it. Jackson's getting cheated out of communion, but that's all right. He's seen a little grace recently. So then Jesus took the cup. The Roman Empire, the aqueducts were good, but they weren't everywhere, so they drank a lot of wine back then, like Germans in their Kolsch. So Jesus took the table wine, and he said, this is my blood spilled for you. And we think, I'm going to leave that on the table. And we miss. It's at 3 o'clock in the morning. Oh, man, I can't believe what I've done. I'm not sure that I'm worthy. I'm not sure that I can be forgiven. And Jesus says, yes, you can This isn't about how great you are. We'll work on that. But this is how impressive God is and how much he loves us. And Jesus said, let me demonstrate. 
This is my blood spilled for you. Drink all of it. And they went out to sing in the Mount of Olives. And we'll do that in a moment, but how are you? I'm doing pretty good. Right here, come over here. We got to work on our lighting. There we go. All right. So uh, your name is Jackson. That's correct. And today is special because today is your birthday. And you are? 17. All right. Now, I'm going to hand you the mic, and you tell us the story of what happened a couple of weeks ago. So uh, my, my friend Brian sent me a video, uh, and I, was, I think we we're in California. There's a text, and he said, Jackson, three dots. And then above it was a news story. Here's the mic. So a few weeks ago, I went to Seattle, Washington um, to like hang out with one of my friends because he was there with his family. And I spent the 4th of July with them. And then on the 5th of July, we kind of just wanted to look around Seattle. So we went to this waterfall. Um, and we were at the top and we were looking. It was pretty cool. And we decided that we wanted to go down to the bottom of the waterfall. So we were hiking along this like path. And at one point, it got like kind of skinny. And he went first because he had done this before and he knew the way down. And I was following him. And after I followed him, the floor under me broke and I fell. Um, and like I rolled down part of the cliff. And then after, I don't know, maybe about 50 feet, the cliff ended and I just free falled for, I don't know, 35 to 40 feet, something like that, maybe a little bigger, smaller, I'm not sure. And I landed in about one or two inches of water. And my friend rushed down there to make sure I was okay. And I was unconscious and all covered in blood and everything. And so he um, ended up calling 911. And after three hours, um, he was keeping me awake and they finally got me out, and they took me to the hospital, and um, I had broken seven vertebrae in my spine, um, six in my back, one in my neck. Um, I'd broken a rib. I cracked my head open. I had a brain bleed, a small one, and I had to get back surgery, and they put two rods in there, 14 screws, and somehow I'm alive and I'm not paralyzed. Right, 15 days in the hospital, and we both want credit for that because that's fairly miserable. Mom wasn't even there. Mom had to fly up. How, how crazy is that flight? So on occasion, on a regular basis, we forget that God is active and alive. We see what's wrong with the world. So on occasion, we've got to remember to celebrate what's right. So would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we love Jackson, and it is stunning to us what he went through. We appreciate his great attitude. Lord, he is the living example of why we need each other and why we need you. This is a rather remarkable life. Remind us how precious it is and the opportunity that we have for as long as we are here. If there's anybody here today who doesn't know you, that ABC approach to the relationship, A is to admit our own life plan, we put a lot of thought into it, but it's not as good as yours. And the problem with our life plan is it usually excludes you. Would you give us the courage to believe that you're the one that makes us worthy of the kingdom of God and to embrace the place you have in it 
for us. And she is to choose to follow you each and every day. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. And everybody said, amen.